today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts. I invite you to turn over there with me today. We have a large passage that we are trying to cover. We're going to get to the heart of it. And I'm actually just going to start in chapter 22 with verse 1. There's a guy named Paul who has traveled to a place named Jerusalem to bear witness to the name of Jesus Christ, the name we just sang about. And he goes there knowing that trouble is going to come his way, and yet he knows that the Spirit of God has called him there anyways. And in fact, he does get into some trouble. A riot breaks out. His life is threatened. And Paul addresses the group of folks that would like to see his death. And these are his words. Acts 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born of Tarsus, of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I, stuttered, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council themselves can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associate, associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6. About noon, I, as I came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I, I fell on the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, that was his name in Hebrew. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then, he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, that would be Jesus, and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 
crowd listened to Paul until he said this. They didn't like the idea that the grace of God would move beyond them to the Gentile world. And so they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We do have our Kingdom Kids ministry today. And so I invite those who are second uh who are four years old through second grade to join our Kingdom Kid workers in the foyer where they're going to learn and worship at their level. They'll head over to the, fel- or over to the uh, education building downstairs for that time where they can be picked up after the service today. You got to love that sound. The sound of parents' sighs of relief. I'm kidding. <laughs> that, is, that is a blessed sound, though, isn't it? To hear the voice of children in our church. We are, we are blessed by that immensely. Before we get into what God has for us today, I want to just pause and pray together. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you today knowing that we need to hear a word from you. I feel that conviction, Lord, that that we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from you through your word. I know some come this morning, Father, you know this, with heavy hearts. Some come very distracted by the concerns of life. God, so we, we need to hear a word from you that would transform us. So, Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us now. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Well, in this particular passage, what we have here is Saul, who would go by the name Paul as he entered into the work of ministering to folks who were not Jewish. Paul would be his Greek name. Saul would be his Hebraic name. And we have here Paul telling his story once again. We've read this story before in Acts, and he shared pieces of it before, but this particular place, he talks to us about what salvation does. And so I want to talk to you from what we see in Paul's life as he recounts his story about what salvation does. It's the most important thing in our life. If you were... If you were drowning, you would want salvation. You would want somebody to throw you a rope, throw you one of those ring thingies that float in the water. I don't what are those called? Lifesaver, not the candy, right? That would just be rude if you need a lifesaver and you got a lifesaver. That'd be bad news, right? If you're in that spot, if you need saving, there is nothing more important than the salvation that could come into your life, right? Kind of an obvious statement, but if you're, in, if you're in that position in need of salvation, nothing can be more important than receiving that salvation. What we see in the life of Paul is that salvation, what it does is it confronts us, it changes us, and it calls us. So if you're following along, you want to take some notes. Those are three C's to make it easy to track with me this morning. Salvation confronts us, it changes us. And it calls us. First, it confronts us. 
we see Jesus encounters, Paul is retelling a story, right? And he talks about this confrontation he has with Jesus. What is Paul doing? Or at that time he was going by Saul. He's going to persecute more Christians. This is the incredible part of Paul's story. Is that Paul was a very devout Jewish man. And he felt like if you veered from God's law in any way, then you were deserving of persecution. And while Jesus didn't violate God's law, he violated man's law because man would add to God's law. And so when Jesus lived on this earth, he was in constant uh, conflict with people who said, not only do we follow God's law, but we're going to add to it man's law to make sure we never get close to violating God's law. And Jesus said, that's nonsense. All you need is God's law. And let me tell you what it is. Let me explain to you in a way that you've never heard before what God has called us to. The kind of life God has called us to. So they didn't like Jesus for doing that. But they made sure that Jesus was silenced. They made sure that Jesus was put into the hands of authority and accused of high crimes so that he would be executed. And we know that story, right? We know the story of Jesus going to the cross in this same exact city that Paul is in now, Jerusalem, facing his own death, just as Paul has traveled to the same exact city, knowing that his life was on the line. So when, when Paul walks into Jerusalem, he knows that there's persecution, persecution coming his way. And he knows something about persecution because he himself was a persecutor. Of the church. A couple times in Acts, we hear it referred to as the way, or following the way of Jesus Christ. And when Paul, who used to go by Saul, saw these folks following the way of Jesus Christ, he made sure that they paid for it, some with their lives. And what's interesting was when Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians following the way of Jesus, he doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the Christians? That's not what he says, though that would have been accurate. What does he say? Saul, Saul, end of verse 7, why do you persecute me? There's a truth in Scripture that we all have to come to grips with, and it's this. When we sin, we sin not primarily against another person. We sin primarily against God. That's why David would say in the Psalms, after he had done some horrific things to other people, he said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. What he's communicating there is this truth, is that when we sin, we sin first and foremost against our God, our Creator. And yes, we sin against one another, but it is first and foremost a sin against God. And so when Jesus confronts him, he confronts him with bad news. In order for the good news to be the good news that it is, we have to hear and believe the bad news. The bad news that Jesus confronts Paul with is that you're on the wrong side of this thing. You're not only persecuting people for following me, you're persecuting me. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It may sound like this bad news is something we don't want to hear. 
But it is something we need to hear. If you've got all sorts of symptoms that, are, that is causing your body to feel terrible, you go to the doctor and what do you want to hear? You want to hear the bad news. As bad as it might be, you need to know that news. Before you can figure out how to fix it, before you can get on to the good news, before you can do that, you've got to hear the diagnosis and the prognosis. You've got to know what's wrong and what's going to happen if there's no intervention, right? You want to know that. As much as you don't want to know it, you really do want to know it. In fact, you need to know that bad news. And Paul needed to hear this bad news. Paul, I know you're zealously trying to serve me, but you have gone far, far astray. Paul, you're persecuting me. We don't necessarily like to hear that we are sinners. But we do desperately need to hear that we are sinners. And so salvation begins with the bad news. It confronts us with the truth of our sinfulness. But then it confronts us with really good news about the possibility of change. Picking up in the middle of verse 3, Paul says, I was just as jealous for God as any of you are today. That's how I once was, right? I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. He's saying, this is who I was until I met Jesus. And then change came. The good news fundamentally changes who we are and how we see God and the world around us, how we see even our own selves. The bad news is that we are sinners. The good news is that we can be saved and made saints through Jesus Christ. So to the degree we understand the bad news is to the same degree we can glory in the good news. That we can have joy in the good news. That we can thank God for the good news. I am such a sinner that it would take nothing less than the death of the Son of God to save me. And yet I am so loved that the Son of God said, for the joy set before me, I endure the cross and its shame. That's the position we are in as Christians. We've been confronted with, good, with the bad news, but we have been changed with the good news. And so Paul says, that's who I was, but that's not who I am. And what I find interesting in this story that we've covered before is that Saul becomes blinded so that he can see. He started out being able to see clearly, he thought, until he was blinded with truth, and then on the other side he could see. And I believe that's every Christian story in some way or another. In some way or another, we have gone through that same process. We thought we saw and understood the world clearly until we were disrupted with the good news of Jesus in that momentary, however long it might take, to disorient our world so that we can be oriented again to the truth. I thought I saw clearly, and then I encountered Jesus and realized I have yet to begin to see. And this is the story for the Christian. 
is that when we encounter Jesus Christ, we can see clearly. Before Christ, we may see the world as what I can get out of it, what I can make of it. My life is about my joy. My life is about myself. My life is about my career. My life is about how much money I can accrue. My life is about my family and how happy they are. And all sorts of things can be how we see our life. It's about this. But when we encounter Jesus, there's this disorientation. Wait a second, it's not about that. It can't be about that. It's about something else. It's about him. We go from thinking we can see clearly to being blinded by the truth to coming out on the other side, seeing 2020. Now, what I see in this change that, that Saul went to, went through, again, Saul was his Hebraic name when we began ministering to people outside of uh, the Hebrew family or the Jewish people, the, the Gentile world, which is anybody who wasn't Jewish, you know, he started to use the name Paul. And what I, what I see in Paul's life is a dramatic change. And I think sometimes we can, we can buy into this idea that we can't change. That there is something so fundamentally flawed about us that we cannot go undergo this same kind of transformation ourselves. We can't, we can't possibly be changed by God. We may phrase it differently. How could I possibly be a beloved child of God? How could God ever accept me as I am this broken self that I find to be? I, I embrace the bad news, but I have a hard time embracing the good news. I'm with you that I'm a sinner, but I have no idea, and I don't think that it's even possible that I could ever become a son or daughter of God. I can't change. In a sense, that's true. I cannot change myself. I cannot change from sinner to saint. I cannot change from one who stands on the outside of the family of God to one who is right in the middle and center of the family of God with all that it brings. I can't do that myself. But there is change for me nonetheless that God brings. This is one of the incredibly good news things about Paul's story is that I think, it, I think it demolishes every excuse that God cannot step in and transform your life. If he did it for this guy, if he could do it for Paul, a persecutor of Christians, he thought himself, his own confession is, I made sure people who followed Jesus were persecuted and some of them even killed. Let the weight of that hit you. I mean, that is... An enormous thing to say, right? I mean, that's an, an incredible thing to confess. If someone confessed that to you, what would you think of that? Someone came to you and said, yeah, I used to really not only dislike Christians, but I made sure some of them, you know, met Jesus. Like that would just be incredible to hear. It was no less incredible for the church to experience a guy who used to persecute and see to their death, and now he's on your side. I mean, that was a very hard thing for them to accept. You, you see that in this passage itself. God can change him with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can he not change you? He absolutely can. There is hope for every single person 
here. The grace of God to change our life is extended to each and every one of us. I was listening to a really um, interesting podcast just yesterday, and I thought about what I wanted to share with you today. I'm going to try to pronounce this right. It's a Japanese word. I don't speak Japanese. That probably doesn't surprise you. Kintsugi. Kintsugi is a Japanese word that literally means golden joinery. They've got an ancient story that goes along with it. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but something about an emperor and having some very valuable pottery that was broken and he sent it off to be fixed and they used these ugly metal staples to put the pieces together and they brought this beautiful, valuable pottery back to the emperor and, and presented it to him and he looked at it and he said, this is no good. And so someone else comes along, a craftsman, and, and, and they take the pottery and what they're able to do is they're able to piece it back together using this gold-laced resin. They used like super glue, but dumped a bunch of gold dust in it and fixed it. Now, we as parents, we, I don't know about you, but I have like on, you know, Amazon subscribe and save like super glue. Like you, as a parent, you're using super glue every day. Every day something breaks and you're using super glue. And most of the stuff is not very valuable, is it? No, it's just, it's just kind of stuff that you would have thrown away if your children weren't losing their mind because it was broken. And so you do your best to fix it. But when it's something like this, they take something that's of actual worth and value and they repair it with this super glue with a whole bunch of dust, of gold dust dumped into it. And it's a beautiful thing. You can look it up. But it actually takes something that's broken and makes it even more valuable than it once was, something even more beautiful than it once was. I mean, that, that's an incredible thing to me, that, that God can, can, can piece our lives back together with grace, and on the other side of that grace, we see our lives as more valuable than it has ever been. Unlike pottery you buy at the store, which really has no cracks, we got cracks when we come out the womb. We've got problems and tendencies and proclivities to sin in our human nature. We're never that perfect piece of pottery. We come into the world cracked. And when our lives fall apart, we can try to super glue it back ourselves. But what the story Paul tells me is that when God adds grace to our life, it transforms that which is broken into something that was more valuable than ever before. He can do that for you and me. He has done that for me and many of you. What does salvation do? In the life of Paul, it confronted him with the bad news that he was a sinner. It comforted him with the good news that there is salvation in Jesus and and because he believed that good news, he was fundamentally changed. But not only that, he was given a new reason to live. He was called. Verse 21, we hear at the, at the end of this testimony, Paul say, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 
Paul went from being a menace to the way of Jesus and those who followed it to being a missionary on behalf of the way of Jesus, encouraging others to follow him. It wasn't just that he was confronted with sin and that he was changed. He was given a new reason to live. He's given a new mission in life, a new purpose. And we see even in this story in Acts 21 and 22 that Paul is living that out. Before our very eyes, we see him living out this calling that God has placed in his life to be a missionary, calling more and more people to come hear the good news of Jesus. And I believe that that is in part what he has called you and I to do, to be missionaries. To be missionaries to those whom you live with. To be missionaries to those who live next to you. To be missionaries to those you work with and go to school with and so on. He's called you to be of those missionaries who are called to tell other people about what salvation is and what it does. And if I could just encourage you to think about it in these terms. When God calls you to be that missionary, to share this good news with others. I want to encourage you to tell your story of how God confronted you with sin and yet God changed you through grace and God has called you to a new life. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. And in that way we are following in line with Paul, with Jesus, with the other disciples. We are missionaries in a mission field that God has uniquely placed you in. There's people you can reach. And myself, Josh, Rosemary, we cannot reach. It's people God has put in your life to share this good news of transformation. And one of the best things you can do is tell them about your own salvation story. To tell them how at one time you thought you knew. Life before the light hit. This was what life was before Jesus, just as Paul did. This is who I was. I was a persecutor of the church. But then tell them about that moment you met Jesus, where Jesus came into your life and saved you, where, where the good news of Jesus just confronted you, just fundamentally changed you and called you into a new life. Tell them that moment. That's a different story for everybody. Some of you that happened as a child or a teenager or later in life. But just tell them that story. Rehearse that story of what life was like before Jesus. How you met Jesus and then what life is like for you now. Paul tells us that. That's, that is the story of Paul. He says, here's life before Jesus. I was a persecutor of the church. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And now I've been called to be a missionary to tell the good news to the Gentile world. Can you tell that story? Can you tell your story in the same way? Can you share with someone, here's life before Jesus. Here's how I met him. Here's life since. Can you do that? It's one of the most powerful things you can do. God calls you. To be that missionary in your corner of the world. If I was going to tell that story, I've worked on it. 
takes a little work, takes a little practice. But many of you have heard my story before. But I try to make it as succinct as possible. You know, when I was a kid, I remember distinctly. I loved to sleep outside on the trampoline. How many of you have ever done that? Some of you send your kids out there, don't you? It's like, I can't take anymore. Y'all are sleeping outside. Go to the trampoline, right? And uh, I was sleeping on the trampoline. I just look up. I see the stars in the sky. And have you ever been awed by something? Maybe something you see all the time and then just, it just hits you. It's like, wow. And I remember looking up to the stars in heaven and just thinking, I felt so small. And I just thought, what is this, what is this life? I mean, I'm not that old. I'm not, you know, like in my 20s or whatever. I'm probably, you know, 10 to 12 years old or something, somewhere in there. And I'm just thinking, why am I here? What is, this doesn't make sense. Like the, the, the universe just seemed so big and I felt so small and insignificant. And a number of years later, and just like this very crazy circumstances, it, it, it makes no sense when I look back on it, but, but I was in a youth group at, at a First Baptist Church, much like ours, that valued student ministry, and they would have, like we had children's led Sunday last week, they would do like a youth led Sunday, and my, my best friend who, who would always do the talking part, the sermon part, you know, he was out of town, and the youth pastor asked for volunteers, and I volunteered, and it took a while for him to notice me, or maybe he just didn't want me doing it, I don't know which, but eventually someone said, hey, Matt's volunteering, and so I got signed up, and he gave me the Great Commission, and I was not a Christian. I just thought it'd be fun to get up there and talk to people, which now I know like a lot of people think that that's the most terrifying thing in the world you could ever do, but I thought it would be fun. I'm not, this is my story. I opened the Bible for myself to try to prepare something to say for Youth Led Sunday, and I'm opening to the Great Commission found in Matthew 28 where Jesus is sending the disciples out to tell people about Jesus. I'm not even saved yet, and when I open it and I read it, I realize all the stuff I've been hearing in church is true. There is a God. He does love me. My sins can be forgiven. I knew, y'all, this, this is the beauty of the church. I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly what to do. I knew if I called on the name of the Lord Jesus, I would be saved. I knew if I confessed I was a sinner, I would be saved. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't figure that out. Till I was 16 years old. But from the time I started going to church up till 16, the church prepared me for that moment. Let me tell you, that's the value of a youth and children's ministry. That's the value as a parent sharing the gospel with your children. Is a moment will come. And it came for me. And I knew it was true. And I knew what to do. And I became a Christian. And then I preached my first sermon. And God said, this is your life now. This is what you're called to do. And you do not need to be called to ministry to be a missionary. You have a story like that too. If you're a Christian, you have a story like that. It's going to sound different. It's not all the same, but you have a life before Jesus. You have a moment that you met Jesus, and you have life now. Paul had that story. I have that story. As a Christian, you have that story. And I want to encourage you to tell that story. Here's my challenge to you. I want to challenge, I want to give you a very specific challenge. I want you to think about that story. Your story, life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and life after. I want to challenge you to think about that story and write it down as succinctly as you can. Make it a short paragraph. Just fit in that basic outline like I just shared with you. 
And here's my challenge for you this week. Tell somebody that story. Tell somebody that story. You may need to start with somebody who likes you and knows you. You may need to start with somebody you come to church with. You may need to start with your spouse or your kids. That's okay. Just tell someone your story. Your kids may have never heard your story. You may, maybe you've never shared it with your spouse. Maybe you have friends in the church and you, you've never told them how you came to faith in Christ. Just find, here's my challenge, write out that story and find someone. Better it be face-to-face than text it to them. And no, it doesn't count to record a video and put it on Facebook, though that's a great idea. But I'm saying get eyeball-to-eyeball with someone and tell them your story. Now, here's the deal, is that some of you are wondering, what is my story? I I don't have a story. I don't have a I met Jesus and life changed for me story. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying you met Jesus and life was great and you never had any problems after that. Most of my story after I met Jesus, I made it very succinct, you know what I mean? But most of my story after I met Jesus was Matt screwed up, Matt saw the grace of Jesus, and that just repeats over and over. And incrementally and slowly getting a little bit more like Jesus as I go along. So I'm not saying that you tell someone that you're perfect now that you met Jesus. Tell them an honest story, but tell them the story. But some people, you don't, you may be hearing this and you're saying, I don't have that story. I don't have a I met Jesus and he changed me story. And I just want to say to you, the grace that was there for Paul, who persecuted and saw to the death of Christians, there is, there is more grace than you can imagine, and it's, there is enough for you. You may not feel that way. You may feel like you have blown it in so many ways. You, you have made so many bad decisions. You have veered so far off the path, there is no hope to get back on it. Let me tell you something. That's what our enemy will tell you, to keep you on the wrong path. It's exactly what Satan will whisper in your ear. But that's not the truth of God. The truth of God is found in in Paul's story and in my story and so many stories sitting here in these pews this morning that though we don't deserve it, we found the grace of Jesus and it's transformed our lives. So if you don't have that story, I just want to say you don't have it yet. It can be yours now. Scriptures tell us, Today is the day of salvation, that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, salvation is yours. You don't have to be good enough. You never will. You don't have to earn it. It can't can't be earned. It's simply a gift that is held out to you, and you choose to receive it. And if you have not yet received it, you can receive it today. Let's pray together.